Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Good to be with you all. I would like just to take this time uh, to pray on behalf of, of myself and the staff and Ben and the board, but as well as for you. Uh, today's prayer focus is the individual. And as we walk through today's sermon, I, I pray that it would truly meet your own heart and that you'd be able to receive truth, not because I'm the one speaking but because it's the word of God that we're declaring. So would you join me as we pray to the the Lord? Father in heaven, we love you and we praise you. And in this moment, we give this morning, we give this service, Lord, we give you our hearts. Would you break each and every one of our hearts down to receive truth, from you. Would you continue to unite our church staff? Would you continue to unite our church board? Would you continue to make us one family, striving after you, for in you all things hold together? Father, I pray over each and every individual in this room right now. Would they seek after you and pursue you? Would their desire for you continue to grow? Would your Holy Spirit continue to sanctify them through and through? Be with my words as I speak today. May I simply be a vessel that glorifies you. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's through the power of your Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Today... We continue in our series through the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 7. Now, for many of you, you're wondering to yourselves, holy cow, we were just in chapter 4 last week. We are taking the beginning of Luke a little bit fast, but that's okay. That's okay, because as Ben uh, talked about last week, we aren't getting to the nitty-gritty. We're not getting into uh, every single turn that the scripture takes, but we are maybe sitting at 10,000 feet. And you can see the cars driving around. You can see the map of what we're doing. But we still invite you to join us on the journey. Because it's really cool, because even though we've skipped, we, we, we didn't finish the second half of chapter 4, and now we're jumping all the way to chapter 7, we understand that it's one continuous process. So we invite you, would you be reading along with us in the book of Luke? And it's really cool because Ben talked to us last week about the testing of Jesus. Jesus was out in the wilderness and Satan had these temptations that he gave him. And the entire time, Jesus is growing in his reliance on God the Father. Yes, Jesus grows in his reliance on the Father. Even though he's perfectly God, he's also perfectly human. And so we see this being the catalyst, this being the very thing that sends Jesus off into the ministry. And so from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 7, we see this amazing pattern happening. Jesus is healing, he's teaching, he's healing, he's teaching, he's healing, and then he teaches some more. Also, in the midst of this, he is calling his disciples. 
It's a really cool process in how each of the individual, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, describes how the disciples are originally called. And Luke has his own particular way of telling this story. And so this is what's going on in Luke chapter 4 and 5 and 6. It's where healing, teaching, healing, teaching. And in the middle of all of this, in, in, in this great journey that we're going on with Jesus, as we are learning our own particular rule that we have been invited to on this story of good versus evil, it's interesting because we see Jesus pretty much widely accepted wherever he goes. All throughout these beginning chapters, people are coming to him to, to hear the good news of the kingdom, to be healed by him. Except for one particular group of people. And it's the, for lack of a better term, religious elitists. It's these superior, the ones with the knowledge, the ones with, in the eyes of the world at least, significance of life. And it's really interesting because Luke, he's giving us this stark contrast. At the very beginning, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, older, older people who are low in the totem pole. They haven't had children. We see Mary, who is young, insignificant in the eyes of the world, at least. We see the shepherds, the lowest when it comes to vocation. And all of these individuals, they're accepting Christ. They're accepting what God has in store for them. And yet... When it comes to those who are actually supposed to know the Bible, to know the Old Testament, to know what is to come, they are the ones who refuse to accept Jesus. They are the ones that right before we get to chapter 7, we have Jesus casting woes. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Woe to you if you have found satisfaction in this life. And so all of a sudden becomes intriguing because the very people who were supposed to know about the coming messiah are the very ones who deny the messiah and what we found is that in the middle of all of this knowledge as as they are growing in knowledge and growing in insignificance and growing in power if you will these pharisees the re, the religious elitists they're not willing to give up anything of their own life they are the people who are willing to give up nothing of their own lives, which means that when Jesus actually comes, they receive nothing from his life. They hold so tightly on to what they have, their knowledge, their significance, their power, their wealth, and they aren't willing to receive anything that Jesus would give them. Meanwhile, meanwhile, as Luke walks us through, we see that those who had nothing in their life receive everything of Jesus' life. This stark contrast of the, the lowly, the oppressed, the poor, the sinners, quote-unquote, sinners of the world, they are the ones who openly receive Jesus and what he wants to do in their life. And yet it's the ones who, are, who know everything. They've memorized the Old Testament, essentially, and they completely miss what Jesus is doing. Luke is developing this pattern for us. He's showing us the lowly, the sinner, the oppressed, the insignificant in the eyes of the world, and how they receive Jesus, and then he puts it in stark contrast with the significant in the eyes of the world, the powerful, the wealthy, and how they completely reject him. 
It's an important pattern for us to hang on to. And yet today, as we start in chapter 7, we see something a little bit different. We come upon a new character. We have Zechariah and Elizabeth, we have Mary, we have the shepherds, and we have the Pharisees. And now, and all of these people, they are of Jewish descent. They are God's chosen people, the ones who were supposed to receive God's word. And yet today we see this new character introduced. And all of a sudden, Luke just kind of throws everything for a loop. And it's important. Because as Luke is writing, he's writing to a particular individual. Now, we're all the readers of Luke. But in this case, as Luke is writing, he's writing to Theophilus. Theophilus is this man who's wondering, hey, am I a part of God's plan? Do I have a role in this? And so what Luke is doing is he's starting with showing us, hey, before you decide if you want to follow Jesus... Come find out who Jesus is. See what he's all about. See what he was doing at the very beginning. And you can see how the plan of God, how Jesus' plan includes everybody. It includes the likes of you and me. If we are willing to receive it. Because again, it's never about God limiting. It's never about God not sharing. It's never about God... uh, not giving what we need to receive him. It's all about you and me and whether we are ready and willing to receive the good news of Jesus. And it all comes down to our heart. And we see this today as we begin in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Now, the teachings that we were he was just giving. This is what makes it really hard for a pastor because skipping those, those few chapters is, there's so much. I would just encourage you to go back and right before this, he's talking about building the house on sand, building a house on concrete. And what he's ta- talking about in this instance, uh, be- right before this, it's not that Jesus prevents the storm from happening in your life. It's that Jesus secures you in the middle of the storm. And man, that's a sermon that I'll preach for days And I would encourage you, go back and read these teachings of Jesus. So when Jesus had finished the saying, all this to the people who were listening, he answered Capernaum. There, a centurion's heart, there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. I want to stop there for a quick second. In understanding who a centurion is, first off, he's not Jew. He's not a Jewish person. He has not been been chosen of God. He's not God's chosen. He's a Gentile. This Roman centurion. And a centurion is essentially a leader of soldiers. He's not quite an officer. In many ways, we could almost, the way I look at it, he's like that Navy SEAL. That when you look at him, you're like, wow. That guy. I wish I could be that guy. He's gone all out. In regards to the, into the eyes of the world, he is as significant as they come. He leads hundreds of troops. He's wealthy. He's famous. When, when people see him walking down the streets, they pay him honor. In the eyes of the world, he needs nothing else to receive affirmation because he's got it all figured out. This is the centurion. And it's amazing how all of a sudden... Luke introduces him to the picture. But what's interesting 
about this particular individual in these first three verses even. We recognize that he is not like the culture before him. This man who has everything, who needs of nothing, he is caring for a servant. He's caring for a servant. You see, in, in the first century, culture would have it that a servant is essentially no more than property. Easily disposed of. Easily replaced. If a servant is sick, there's no reason why he can't just move on to another servant. And yet this centurion, who has everything, is saying, well, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. This is a human life. This is a human life that I care deeply for. I want this individual healed. I want this individual restored. And the centurion's heart is revealed in this moment. And this is crucial when it comes to understanding how he then will interact with Jesus. The man who has everything, who is significant in the eyes of the world, begins to demonstrate his heart. In having his slave, this servant, healed, he is showing his sense of empathy. You see, the centurion, he has a seeker's heart rather than a consumer's heart. The seeker's heart is someone, is a heart that is looking for the greater things of life. The seeker's heart is showing that he recognizes there is something more than his own satisfaction, his own wealth, his own riches. He is looking for something greater than himself. He is seeking truth. He is seeking the greater. We see this because all of a sudden in the midst of the centurion living out his life, he is valuing the lowly, the high, the mighty, the rich, the significant, looks at the poor, the oppressed, the insignificant, and says, you are my equal. You deserve to have life as much as I deserve to have life. I want you healed. He seeks after the greater. You see, friends, it was never about the place in the world that determined if we found Christ or not. We can talk all day about the poor, the oppressed, the lowly, and how oftentimes it is they who ultimately find Christ easier because they have nothing in the world to hang on to. And when you have nothing in the world to hang on to, it makes it that much easier to receive everything that Jesus has to offer. But just because someone is rich and significant and mighty and wealthy doesn't mean that they have an unequal chance to receive Jesus. Because even the poor, the oppressed, the lowly, they too could have a consumer's heart. They too could have a heart that is strictly looking out for oneself. They too could have a heart that is only consumer-minded. What can I get fed? What can I have? What can I achieve? What can I earn? And in many ways, that's what keeps them poor and oppressed and lowly. But in this case, the centurion, the wealthy, significant Mighty man, he is recognizing that there is something greater than his own achievements. But the fact of the matter is this. There are some today, there are some today, maybe we have a lot of knowledge. Maybe we have wealth. Maybe we have significance. Maybe we have found satisfaction in this world. And many, even here today, we have this high knowledge of the Bible. We know all of the stories. 
and we see ourselves as these, as these superior Christians. And in doing so, even in the midst of knowing Bible, of knowing church, of knowing every Christian-y thing in the world, we too miss out on the truth and power and beauty of Christ. Because we have a consumer-minded Thinking to ourselves, what can they give me? What can that pastor, what can that preacher, what can that speaker give me, feed me, that's going to elevate me? The Roman centurion, though, in the midst of his significance, in the middle of his journey of life, he knows there is something greater than himself out there. We continue. Starting in verse 4. When they came to Jesus... They pleaded earnestly with him. This is the Jews. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. You know, one way we always know if someone has a seeker's heart or a consumer's heart is if the people around them are being affected in a positive way. I mean, think about it. This man represents the Roman Empire, the Roman government, the very government who's been oppressing the Jews since day one. And yet it's this man that the Jews are praising. It's crazy. This man is going against every status quo, every cultural boundary, every cultural barrier. And he's saying, look, I care for you. Yes, I am mighty. Yes, I am high. Yes, I am well honored. But I recognize there is something greater than me out there, and I'm going to make the field equal. You and I are doing the same thing. I want to glorify someone who is greater than me. And he may not have known it then, but in doing so, he was showing that the law of Christ, the law of God, the heart of God was within him. And he's about to discover it right now. It's all about the seeker's heart. And in having the seeker's heart, others experience that. When someone seeks after the greater things, the people around them experience those greater things. This is what's happening in the lives of these Jewish people. They are seeing that this man, even though he had no reason to show them any time, any, anything... This man gives them the time of day and says, I will pursue you. I will make you my equal. The seeker's heart experiences the truth of Christ. The seeker's heart experiences the beauty of Christ. The seeker's heart demonstrates the beauty of Christ. I, I was a little convicted this week. I was a little convicted last week because as I was walking through this piece of scripture thinking about my own heart thinking there's no way I would have a consumer minded heart I'm a pastor by default I didn't have a secret heart right that's just part of the job this is part of the person I'm supposed to be every the last couple years we've been taking college students and young adults down to Atlanta for a conference that was two weeks ago took four four of our college students, four of our young adults. And in my mind, I know exactly who is speaking at this conference. I know, in my mind, I know exactly who I want to hear speak. 
And on the other side of that coin, I know exactly who I was not looking forward to speaking. You see, for me, and forgive me for this train of thought, I am seminary educated. I've studied Greek. I've studied Hebrew. I've studied theology for years and years and years. For me, I have particular standards on the individuals I listen to. And only particular individuals meet those standards. And one evening at this conference, I was having a conversation with, well, Bailey Sonnenberg, 19-year-old college student. Second day of the conference, I was having this conversation with him. We were discussing one of the speakers, how, and I was sharing how, well, I'm not really looking forward to this particular speaker, Sadie Robertson, because she's not trained. She's young. The only reason she gets the stage is because, well, her dad was famous, and they were on TV, and who cares what, I mean, who, what could she possibly offer me? A pastor, seminary educated. And as I was talking with him, it hit me. Wait a minute. As I stand before you all right now, I'm younger than 80% of you. In many ways, you guys have been pursuing Christ and reading the Bible for twice as long as I've been living. Very much so, you guys could look at me or Ben and say, what could you offer us? And have this heart, this, this consumer's heart saying, no, 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 no. We need someone greater. We need someone bigger. And I felt like such a hypocrite. Who am I to determine where the truth of Christ comes from? Who am I to limit God speaking through an individual who's had life experiences and who has one walking through the Bible for any amount of time to say that you have no truth that I can receive? And I was thinking in the midst of that conversation with Bailey, and I was so thankful because I was humbled because of a conversation I had with a man who is 11 years younger than me and still in college. And in that moment, I realized I had been judging every other person who was at this conference because clearly their love for Sadie Robertson showed that they weren't on my level. You see, they had the seeker's heart. They had the heart saying, I am looking for truth. I am looking for something greater. They didn't care where Sadie was coming from. They didn't care how much experience or training she had. They knew, based on her life, that they were going to be affected because Christ was moving in and through her. And I was blind to it. And it hit me. And I'm so thankful in that moment because Sadie didn't speak until the third day. Had she spoken the previous two days, I would have missed any truth that she had because I would have sat there judging. Ah, who needs her? I'll tell you who needs her. I needed her. All of those 18 through 25 year olds, they needed her because she went on to give a talk that broke hearts. She went on to give a talk that parsed through scripture that met people right where they were at. And the power and beauty of Christ was experienced in her talk. 
because Christ was moving in and through her. And if I had a consumer's heart, I would have missed it all. Do we have a seeker's heart or a consumer's heart? And you know what's the harsh reality in all of that? Is yes, I praise God that he made me aware of it in that moment that I was able to like, wow, Sadie, this was a fantastic talk. You were a vessel of God. But the harsh reality as I was reflecting on this was, how much more have I missed? And then the harsher reality. How much more have I lacked to demonstrate the beauty of Christ in my life? You see, this Roman centurion, he had a seeker's heart. And because of that seeker's heart, the Jews were blessed. They had been given a synagogue. They had been blessed by this centurion, this man of power. This seeker's heart affected those around them. And even though he didn't quite know Christ before, he was about to, but that didn't keep the beauty of Christ being demonstrated to the Jews across that region. And it hit me in this moment. How have I lacked to show the power and the beauty and the love of Christ to those around me? And I ask for your forgiveness for that. Because knowledge is a good thing. Training is a beautiful thing. But at the same time, it can become the very thing that is an obstacle for the love of Christ to be shown. But it, it goes so much further, though. We're only in verses 1 through 5. As we continue into verse 6, we see that it's not just about having a seeker's heart. It's not... Just about someone caring for another individual. Because at this moment we recognize the Roman centurion, centurion experiences something so much greater. Verse 6. If you join me there. So, Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see, it's so much more than a secret heart. It's so much more than caring for another individual. But look at how this Roman centurion, the Gentile, the one who wasn't even considered God's chosen, look at how he responds to the knowledge that Jesus is coming to him. He says, I am not worthy. The centurion recognizes the corrupted nature of his own heart. And he says, I am not deserving. For you to come to me. Last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, I, I spoke on repentance. John the Baptist giving this baptism of repentance. And I was demonstrating to you what repentance looks like. Friends, if repentance can be summarized in one sentence. It is what this Roman centurion, the non-chosen of God. The Gentile. The man who is considered part of the Roman evil empire. He demonstrates it in one sentence. 
I am not worthy, and you are Lord. I am not worthy, and you are Lord. It goes well beyond the secret hearts. It goes well beyond simply caring for somebody. It begins with us recognizing that we cannot do it on our own. A seeking heart, one that is not satisfied with this world. It is the seeking heart that then leads to the repentant heart. It leads us to recognizing that Christ is so much more. Friends, I've got some good news for us today. I'm here to tell you, you are awful, terrible, broken sinners. Amen? Amen. Amen. And when we begin to recognize how evil and broke and corrupt we are, we then realize that we have the opportunity to be set free from earning our own salvation. There is no greater news than this. When we recognize how incredibly evil are, believe me, friends, you might say you've been a Christian for 50 years. You cannot possibly understand the depths of your sin. And this is good news because all of a sudden we are then set free to experience the beauty and the love of Jesus Christ. Friends, he seeks us. Look what it says in verse 6. He went with them, recognizing that the centurion had a heart of faith, had a heart of seeking. He then goes and seeks the centurion's seeking heart. It's a beautiful thing. The seeker's heart leads to a repentant heart, and the repentant heart leads to us experience the beauty of Jesus Christ. Because in that we experience freedom like no other. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. So as Luke is writing this to Theophilus, as he's writing to all of his readers, he's showing Theophilus, look, you have a role in the plan of God. You have a role in the plan of Jesus. But you cannot do this role on your own. In fact, you can't do it at all. It's only through Jesus Christ, that repentant heart that leads us to saying, I am unworthy and you our Lord. Here's what's beautiful about this. The centurion wasn't waiting, was not waiting for Jesus to come to his house to have faith. The seeker's heart leads to a repentant heart. And the repentant heart recognizes that there is more to Jesus than meets the eye. And the centurion's heart says, look, don't come to my house. You don't need to come to my house. I know who you are. I've sought after you. I recognize who you are. You say the word, and I will experience you. And in this moment, faith is placed in Jesus Christ. In this moment, heaven is experienced. Heaven isn't simply experienced at the end of death, post-death. In this moment, this centurion, in placing his faith in Jesus Christ, experienced heaven. And here's what's really cool, is that heaven is experienced before the servant is healed. Before the centurion even recognizes that his servant would be healed. He experiences what it means to be with Jesus, and Jesus isn't even around. 
And the same promise is offered to you and to me. If we would place our faith in Jesus, we begin to experience Jesus. And what is experiencing Jesus but if not, but if not experiencing heaven, it's hell. Jesus is waiting. He is seeking. He's looking for the hearts that are seeking after him. Seeking hearts move us from relying on corrupted hearts to having repentant hearts and experiencing Christ. Do we have repentant hearts? Do we have a seeker's heart? That is saying there is something greater than myself out there. Do we have a repentant heart that's saying I am unworthy and you are Lord? This is the Roman centurion, the man most unlikely to be involved in the plan of Jesus, and yet he plays a critical role in the plan of Jesus to glorify God. And then we continue into verse 9 and 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. I love, love this, as we see the emotion displayed by Jesus. He was amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This entire story, these ten verses, focusing on the servant being healed, and yet we're given one sentence. We talked about this with the birth of Christ. Everything was focused around this servant being healed, and Luke tells us nothing. It wasn't this grand thing. It wasn't this magical thing. All of a sudden, okay, he's healed. Moving on now. And what we realize is that it's not so much about the end as it is about the journey. Placing our faith in Christ and learning what it is to trust in him, to rely on him, to experience him. This is what it is all about. This is where freedom is found. In this Roman centurion, this non-Israelite, this Gentile, Christ says, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. The Pharisees, the knowledgeable, the skilled, the learned, the trained, the Jew of Jews... The successful, they had been so consumed with making sure that things were just right for them, that things were just okay, fine, perfect the way they wanted it, they completely missed what Jesus was doing. Friends, today, how have we turned from Christ's truth? You may know the Bible. You may have heard every single story. You may think to yourself, I've got it all figured out. Friends, the moment we say we've got it all figured out is the moment that we've got nothing figured out. Without Jesus in the picture, without the seeker's heart that leads us to a repentant heart, there is absolutely no way we can begin to discover the beauty, the power, the love of Christ, and at the same time, on the flip side of the coin, we cannot demonstrate the beauty, the power, the truth, the hope, the love, the peace of Christ to others around us. Friends, my goal today, my passion and dream for this church is that we would never, be a, we would never stop being a seeking people, that we would never stop recognizing. May we never, 
ever feel that we are no longer corrupt. Yes, we have been set free from sin, but we are still in our broken, fleshly, human vessels. We are not glorified. Friends, we are not glorified and we will not be glorified on this side of death. We stand broken individuals. And yet, this Roman centurion, as the perfect example of a, of a non-chosen person, Christ says of him, not even Israel has shown me a great faith like this. Can you imagine today? Can you imagine today if Jesus were here? If Jesus were walking around this, the community of Henry County, Northwest Ohio, and he would look over to Napnaz saying, not even in Israel have I seen such great faith like that. Because we are a people that we would be a people. Seeking, repenting, recognizing the corruption of our own hearts and saying, I am not worthy. You are Lord. In this moment, the centurion, he doesn't need Jesus to come. Can you imagine if, we, if he had a, a, a consumer's heart simply reacting to the circumstances? A consumer's heart cries out, come, come, I need you now, I need you now. Do this for me, do this for me. And a seeker heart simply says, Lord, I'm unworthy. But I know you can deliver. Will you deliver? Friends, do you have a seeker's heart? A seeker's heart that, re that leads to a repentant heart. A great faith, friends, is preceded by a repentant heart which only comes from a seeking heart. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years or five minutes. The temptation to be self-satisfied, to see your own significance, the temptation to recognize that I've got everything figured out, it is real for each and every one of us. But then there's Christ seeking us. Seeking our seeking hearts, waiting to be used in the most unlikely ways. Will you have a seeker's heart? Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, would you continue to break down our hearts? Would you continue to humble us? Father, we seek you with everything, asking for our daily bread. Help us to rely on you on a daily basis. Never growing self-satisfied within ourselves, but always leaning into what you are doing and who you're doing it through. I pray for everyone in this building. May we walk out of here with hearts recognizing that we need something greater. Give us the heart of a Roman centurion. Father, we love you and we praise you and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. All in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close, as we close with the Lord's Prayer? Let us read together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Be blessed.
Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.